Well, Kansas sure seems to have found their answer at shooting guard and Johnny Furphy, who dropped 23 points in the Jayhawks' much-needed win over Cincinnati to kick off Big Monday. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, folks? Welcome in to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part, of course, of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your solo host today, Andy Patton. Today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more, folks. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, it's just me today for Tuesday. Isaac will be back on Wednesday, and the two of us will be back on Thursday and Friday to get you through the week. But we had Big Monday for the first time this season. We're going to talk about that with Kansas and North Carolina, both picking up W's in conference play. We're also going to talk about the Big Ten, what's going on in that conference, who's competing to finish behind Purdue, and kind of what how things have shaken out so far. And then we're going to close out the show with a preview of a lot of fantastic games coming up on Tuesday. we got six of them that we're going to touch on to round us out. But we're going to start in Kansas, where the Jayhawks pick up a much, much needed win, and they they never really quite put Cincinnati away. This game was tied at halftime, and Cincinnati never really never really let Kansas build a big lead, maintain a big lead. They kept hitting big shots towards the end of the game. It was one of those games where it never really felt like Cincinnati got close enough to really challenge the Jayhawks. Like for the last six, seven minutes of this game, maybe even longer, it was never really there was never really any serious concern that Kansas wasn't going to win, but they also weren't putting Cincinnati away. Shout out to them for being able to hit big shots and stay in this game. But the big story, if you're a Jayhawks fan, Bill Self finally found himself his shooting guard, his answer to that position. And we've been talking about it a handful of times on this show that Johnny Furphy, who recently stepped into the starting lineup in place of freshman El Marco Jackson, was starting to look like he was kind of pulling away with that role. It was a role that had been at times – uh, they'd given it to Marco Jackson. At times, they'd given it to Nick Timberlake, the transfer from Towson. Uh, at times, it had been Furphy's. But now, after Furphy dropped 23 points, 11 rebounds, and two steals on seven of eight shooting from the field, 23 points on eight field goal attempts. He was three of four from the three-point line, six of nine from the charity stripe. That is what they needed because this team had a big four. Hunter Dickinson didn't play great in this game. They didn't really need him to. He was fine. Uh, Kevin McCullough continues to be an All-American candidate, one of the best uh, seniors in all of college basketball. K.J. Adams is, is exactly playing the role that Kansas wants him to fill. Same with Dewan Harris, not a big scorer, but distributing the ball very well. And they just needed that fifth and final piece. Furphy going out, dropping 23 points on eight field goals. That is what they're going to need. Now, Kansas is still not getting anything from their bench. And I mean nothing. With 12 seconds to go, El Marco Jackson got fouled by Cincinnati. He made two free throws. Those were the only bench points, not just Jackson's only two points, the only points from anybody on Kansas's bench. Parker Brown played. He went 0 of 1 from the field. Nick Timberlake went 0 of 1 from the field. Those were their only two field goal attempts. Jackson did not take a shot outside of the free throws. That's all they got. And look, we know that Bill Self in Kansas doesn't play their bench. This is a historical fact about Kansas in the Bill Self era. They're frequently in the bottom 25 teams in all of college basketball in terms of bench usage. But you're probably going to want more than that. 
Granted, previously they weren't getting anything from their bench or from their starting shooting guard, at least with Furphy playing the way he is as of late. That's going to help this team as they desperately need to stay in contention here in the Big 12. They're 4-2. and two. Uh, This was a big win for them. Uh, Cincinnati, a team that is very, very unfortunate in how things have gone for them so far. Uh, they are now 2-4 and four in their first Big 12 season. They've lost four of their last five games, but every single one of those games has been determined by five or less points. Cincinnati is learning what it's like to be in the Big 12 conference. A lot of close games, a lot of really good battles by this Bearcats team. I think that they're... They're better than I thought they were going to be coming into the Big 12. They're fighting hard. It's unfortunate the record doesn't quite show the skill level that this team has. They got 32 points from their bench, much more depth uh, for them spread out across the team. At least Dan Skillings had 16 off the bench, which led the team. But they had 16 turnovers. They only shot three of 18 from three. And that's just not going to get it done when you're trying to beat a team like Kansas, especially on the road. Other game for Big Monday, that was the nightcap uh, for the Big Monday games. The first game, the first game of the season for Big Monday was North Carolina hosting Wake Forest. Somewhat similar story in the first half, at least. Again, it was 35-35 between Kansas and Cincinnati. And this one, it was 34-33. Wake Forest was actually up at halftime, but Carolina blasted them in the second half, outscored them by 22 points. 52 to 30 to win by a final score of 85 to 64. Wake Forest did not make a single three-point shot in the second half of this game, finished just three of 20 from deep. Carolina struggled significantly in the first half from three, ultimately only finished five of 15, which is okay, but they got enough, particularly from ACC Player of the Year, clear front runner, RJ Davis, 36 from him in this game. He also had four rebounds and two assists. He was incredibly efficient as well. 14 of 23 from the field, including four of eight from three. At this point, it is a, a borderline one-man race. The way that R.J. Davis is playing for this team, he is very clearly the best player on North Carolina, and North Carolina is very clearly the best team in the ACC. They are now 8-0. and They have a two-plus game lead on everybody in the ACC, they're one of only two power six teams that remains undefeated in conference play, the other team being Auburn. This Carolina team is really good, and the nice thing for them, they don't need Armando Baycott to be a superstar for this team to be good. That has been a story for them in the past, is if Baycott's not there, if he doesn't have a big game, this team cannot win those games. Baycott had five points. He also had seven rebounds and four blocks, so he made a big impact in this game, but he had five points. He was two of six from the field, pretty much only on tip-ins. Those were basically the only points that he got in this game was just a few offensive rebounds around the glass. But they don't need him to win. They won by 21 points with, with Armando Baycott scoring five points. That shows the depth of this team. That shows the obvious growth as a scorer in R.J. Davis, which has likely come in part because of the departure of Caleb Love. But this team also added Harrison Ingram. They added Cormac Ryan, guys who fit into spots that they needed them to fit. And it is really working for Hubert Davis's team. Wake Forest drops to five and three in the ACC. They've lost three of their last five games. They've all been road games. They lost at Florida State. They lost at NC State. Now they've lost at North Carolina. They are very squarely on the bubble. And they really need to pick up a big win or two. And unfortunately, just with the strength of the ACC this year, they don't got a lot of opportunities. They still have both their games against Duke. That is huge for them. If they can win at least one of those games against the Blue Devils, that that helps make their resume look quite a bit better. They also got a road game at Virginia. They got a game against Clemson, but neither of those teams are playing at the level 
that you'd like them to play at if you're Wake Forest. You want to pick up what would be a more marquee win. You go into Virginia and you pick up a win there. That's certainly going to help. But Wake Forest is just not in a spot where they have as much wiggle room as you'd like in order to pick up some some marquee wins. They're still a good team, uh, but a loss like this, nobody expected them to. I, I mean, I don't want to say nobody, but it wasn't expected they would win at North Carolina, but they just don't have as many more opportunities to pick up those wins to put themselves more safely in the field. I want to quickly mention one other result that we saw on Monday. McNeese, the Cowboys, they won a wild one in the Southland Conference against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. They were down 18 at one point, this is a team that's undefeated in conference play. They still are because they came all the way back and won this one. At the very end, it was a wild sequence. Corpus Christi hit a pair of free throws. They took a two-point lead, but then Jordan Roberts fouled Mike Saunders Jr. because he thought his team was up three. So he thought, oh, I'll foul, I'll foul them so I have to go to the free throw line. But they were only up two. But then Mike Saunders Jr. missed the second free throw. McNeese got the rebound. It was a wild sequence of events. Eventually, Kristen Schumade scored right at the buzzer, excuse me, and McNeese picks up the victory. They're 6-0 in the Southland, 17-2 overall. They have not lost since November 22nd at Louisiana Tech. Will Waves, who served a 10-game suspension to start the season, he has not lost as the head coach at McNeese, having a fantastic season. And we'll talk more about this on a future episode, but there's already talk that DePaul, who fired coach Tony, Tony Stubblefield after their loss at Butler, and DePaul needed a change. He was 3-15 and this year. DePaul was the worst Power 6 team in all of college basketball. Stubblefield is out the door, and there's some talk that Will Wade could be the guy for DePaul. We'll see if the Blue Demons can make that higher or if uh, enough other coaches might be available in the coaching carousel this offseason that maybe Will Wade will find himself somewhere else. Uh, but this is a very intriguing coaching carousel potential to keep an eye on this offseason. Well, the Big Ten has just four teams that are above 500 in conference play. We're going to talk about who might rise from the middle of this muck in the middle of the Big Ten Conference. Who might rise and challenge those top teams? We're going to get to that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are rolling right along, and there is still time to get in on the action this season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The FanDuel app is really easy to use. There are so many different ways to bet. You can bet on live same-game parlays. You can also find new bets in the Explore tab, or you can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best and most popular way to find parlays. We're going to get to some previews later in the show. Houston only favored by two and a half on the road at the Marriott Center, taking on the BYU Cougars. We'll talk about that and other Tuesday games to close out the show. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, we are done with our first big Monday of the season. Lots more fun college basketball games coming your way on Monday evenings from now until Selection Sunday and the start of March Madness. want to move on now and talk about the Big Ten because we did. We had so many games to preview on Monday's episode, myself and Isaac. We, we didn't get to a lot of the Big Ten results, and I think that there's maybe just an entire conversation to be had about the middle of the Big Ten. Because historically, the Big Ten's a conference that puts six, seven, eight, nine teams into the NCAA tournament. And right now, there's just not a lot of teams with super appealing resumes. 
And eventually things are going to separate. There's still, you know, a full month and a half until we get into the, the really the serious bubble conversations and what some of those resumes are going to look like. And a lot of these teams are going to end up beating up on each other and whoever kind of rises out of that's probably going to be in that conversation. But who is that going to be? Because right now the Big Ten only has four teams that are over 500 in conference play. Wisconsin at the top, they are 6-1 and one in the Big Ten. They just recently lost to Penn State, though, which was a pretty gross loss for them. I'm not a super confident believer in Wisconsin. I think A.J. Storr was a great, great addition for this team. I'm just not super confident that they are going to be consistent enough. Uh, the Penn State loss is kind of an example of that, but they have done a phenomenal job of putting themselves currently in a position where they can afford some stumbles. Hopefully not too many more, but they're in a pretty good spot. Uh, obviously, any team that's in first place in their conference right now is in a good spot, uh, but Wisconsin, I think, is one of the safer teams. Obviously, Purdue is the safest team. They are 17-2 and two overall. They are only 6-2 and two in the Big Ten because they had those two losses uh, in conference play, but they're obviously not a team we're super concerned about from a making the NCAA tournament perspective. I ultimately think they will probably be the team that ends up winning the Big Ten regular season over Wisconsin, but those are your kind of two most safe teams at this spot. And then you have Illinois. Illinois just returned Terrence Shannon Jr. from the suspension. They're five and two on the season or in conference play. Excuse me. They've won 10 of their last 11 games. They did a very good job, even while Shannon was not playing. Uh, they did have a home loss to Maryland. That's not a great loss for Illinois. That was kind of a stinker. Uh, and they lost at Purdue. Can't really fault anybody for losing at Purdue right now. Uh, so you got Wisconsin at six and one. Purdue is six and two. Illinois is five and two. The only other team over five hundred is Northwestern. The Wildcats four and three, and they got pretty good losses. Their only losses are at Illinois, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska. Like you feel pretty good if you're the Wildcats right now about that being the only real blemishes on your resume in conference play. They also, of course have a win over Purdue. That's something that you can certainly hang your hat on. Other, they also have a big win over Michigan State. We're going to talk about them in a second, uh, but certainly if, if you told anybody who was a Northwestern fan before the season, hey, you're going to beat Purdue and Michigan State this year, they're going to feel pretty darn good about that. And hey, you're going to be one of only four teams over 500 in late January. Again, I think you're pretty darn happy if you're Northwestern. I still think they're squarely a bubble team. That's where Joe Lenardi has them projected right now. That's where a handful of other bracketology experts are kind of putting them at this point. Uh, but they're kind of just above the rest of that kind of like meat of teams in the Big Ten. They're kind of just right above that spot. And then at this point, everybody else, everybody else that's not those four teams in the Big Ten is somewhere between four and four and two and five. Like I said, it's just messy. It's just a lot of teams that have been beaten up on each other. Nobody's really been able to separate themselves in a significant major way. And at this point, you kind of got to start to wonder how many of these teams are going to actually do enough to make the field. Because the Big Ten is going to get more than four teams in the NCAA tournament. There's just a, an almost not an almost 0% chance that something happens where only four teams make it. It would require massive amounts of bid stealing it would require six teams from the mountain west to make it like multiple a10 teams two or three teams from the wcc like things that are just not likely to happen would have to happen for the big 10 to get less than five bids but who out of this group's going to make it and who out of this group might do well enough to actually put themselves in a spot to be a top two or top three team 
in the Big Ten. And you think you start the conversation with Michigan State, they're four and four. Indiana's four and four. Nebraska's four and four. Like those are kind of the, the teams that I think are the most in this conversation right now. The Spartans have won eight of their last 10 games. They're only home losses, Wisconsin. They have road losses to Northwestern, to Illinois and Nebraska. Not a terrible group of losses there. Uh, they still got some tough games left. They got to go to Wisconsin. They have to play Illinois at home. They're at Purdue. They also host Northwestern. But Tom Izzo's teams tend to peak towards the end of the year. They tend to peak as at least getting into March. This team obviously has had horrendous struggles very early in the season, but we've seen Tyson Walker really pick it up. We've seen the freshmen kind of grow and develop into their roles for this Michigan State team. So they're the team I think I'd be the most confident about moving into that top three, maybe even top two. Uh, it's possible that after all of the craziness that has happened this season, the end result in the Big Ten is still Purdue and Michigan State at one and two. I'm not sure I'm super confident that could happen, but it is absolutely within the realm of possibility at this point. And then you have Indiana. And they're kind of trending in the wrong direction. They're four and four, just like Michigan State. They've only won two of their last six games. They lost at Nebraska and at Rutgers. Their other losses are Purdue and Wisconsin. But this has been a rough, rough stretch for Indiana. They looked really lifeless in their most recent game against Wisconsin, even more lifeless against Purdue, which you you expect to, to not necessarily beat Purdue, but they didn't even put up a fight. And that game was at Assembly Hall. This has been a rough stretch. People are frustrated with Mike Woodson, understandably so. It feels like this team is not doing enough with their with the, the talent that they have on the roster, is not manifesting enough wins. Uh, they got plenty of good opportunities left. They got at Purdue. They have at Illinois, at Ohio State. They also host Michigan State and Wisconsin. But they, I mean, that's a tough schedule. Indiana has to go four and two in that stretch, three and three maybe. But if they go two and four, if they go one and five, if they do what Ken Palm projects them to do right now, which out of that stretch is to go 0-6, then you're looking at an Indiana team that is not in the NCAA tournament and, quite frankly, might have a new coach in 2024-25. I think Woodson deserves a little bit more of a, a leash, but Indiana fans are not going to put up with some kind of uh, disastrous end-of-the-season results uh, at Indiana. Next up, Nebraska, 4-4. Four and four. Nice wins for them, Purdue and Michigan State. They also beat Indiana and Northwestern. Uh, losses, though, at Iowa, eh, at Rutgers, also at Wisconsin. You can accept that. Uh, they got Illinois left on the road. They got Northwestern and Indiana on the road. They also host Wisconsin. Uh, decently favorable schedule for, for uh, Nebraska. They don't have Purdue. Uh, they're home for Wisconsin. Like, this is – Nebraska's – I don't think the best team out of this group, I'd still lean that being Michigan State, but their schedule is favorable enough that it wouldn't shock me if they pushed themselves into this conversation as a top five team. They're also listed right now on the uh, bubble in the majority of places that I've been looking. So I think there's a chance that Nebraska kind of ends up being that fourth, fifth team, a team that gets it at 10 or 11 seed in the NCAA tournament and kind of uh, helps helps fill out the bottom of the Big Ten in terms of NCAA tournament teams. I don't have a lot of faith in anybody else. I'm not a big believer in Maryland right now. I know they have a serious talent on the roster. Jameer Young has been fantastic. I'm just not really buying what they're doing this year. Really rough start for them. Ohio State has been real bad as of late. I'm not a believer in Iowa, Minnesota, Penn State, none of them. Rutgers, Michigan, no, definitely not for either of them right now. So it's an odd spot for, for the Big Ten to be. They just don't have the depth that they typically do, the teams that are in that kind of middle pack. Like I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if Michigan State, Indiana, 
and Nebraska all make it. I guess I'd be a little surprised if we ended up with seven teams there, but I think we'll probably get six. I think one team out of that group doesn't make it. It's either Indiana or Nebraska or Northwestern, if they really fall apart, is probably the most likely result. But there's just there's just not a lot of inspiration in the middle of this conference right now. We're going to close out the show with Duke and Kentucky. They're both heading out on the road to take out to take on unranked opponents, although not all unranked opponents are created equal. We're going to talk about those and four other Tuesday night matchups coming up right after this. All right, closing out the show today with six games to preview coming up on Tuesday evening. Again, my co-host Isaac Shade will recap these games and whatever else, whatever other action we see on Tuesday evening. We start at the KFC Yum Center. Duke heads to Louisville to take on Kenny Payne and the Cardinals. This game is at 7 p.m. Eastern time. It is on the ACC Network. FanDuel currently favors Duke by 14 and a half points. And that is with, currently, as I'm recording this, is a game-time decision for both Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell. They are possibly going to be without two starters, and FanDuel's still saying, yeah, it's a 14-point spread full in favor of Duke going on the road. That is telling you a lot about where Louisville is. And look, shout out to the Cardinals. They've played better as of late but they didn't have anywhere to go but up. I, sh- I shouldn't jinx them. Hopefully they didn't have anywhere to go but up from where they were when they lost to DePaul, when they lost to Arkansas State, when the whole Karan Davis thing situation happened at the end of December. That was a really bad spot for Louisville, and they've played a little bit better. They've played some more inspired basketball. Kenny Payne was not the first Division I Power Six head basketball coach to lose his job this season. That goes to Tony Stubblefield at DePaul, deservedly so. I don't want to trash the guy, but the, the job wasn't getting done at DePaul. Payne looks like he's going to hold on to his job for the rest of the year. This is an incredible way to build a little bit of goodwill before your departure if he's able to find a way to lead his team to a victory over the Blue Devils, but ultimately have a hard time not seeing Duke winning and even covering this game, depending, of course, on whether Roach or Mitchell play. Kentucky heads to South Carolina, like we said, two ranked teams going on the road to take on unranked opponents. There's a big difference between going to play Louisville and going to play South Carolina. The Gamecocks are pretty darn good. They've been kind of slowly slipping out of that at-large conversation, but the fact that they were even in that conversation up to this point is a testament to how well they have been doing. This game also at 7 p.m. It'll be on the SEC Network. FanDuel is favoring Kentucky by four and a half heading on the road. Of course, the big story for the Wildcats right now, Zvonimir Ivicic, Croatian freshman center, magnificent in his first game against Georgia on Saturday, 13 points, three of four from the three-point line. He scored basically all of his points in like a a two-and-a-half-minute stretch very early in the contest. Fantastic performance from him. Very excited to see what he brings for Kentucky going forward this season, starting with this game against South Carolina. Texas heads on the road to take on Oklahoma, the Sooners. Another game at 7 p.m. This one will be on ESPN. you got to got triple monitors up to watch all three of these games. FanDuel favors Oklahoma, the home team, by four and a half. Longhorns had lost three of four prior to that game against Baylor. They bring home a massive victory. Tyrese Hunter, coast to coast, beats the Baylor Bears. Texas really needed it. Rodney Terry was complaining about Central Florida's players doing the horns down. It was not a very good look for him. Texas had lost at West Virginia. They'd fallen well out of the AP Top 25. They were in a pretty bad spot. For them to go get that win against Baylor really is going to potentially help turn this program around, and that's why this game is so critical. Because if they go beat Baylor, but then they go just have a listless 
uninspired performance and Porter Moser and the Sooners take them down, then that's kind of you, then you're back in the same spot that you were pre- previously. If you're Texas, if Texas can build on that momentum, build on that game winning shot and go beat an Oklahoma team that hasn't lost very many games, their only losses this entire season for Oklahoma, North Carolina in Charlotte at TCU and at Kansas, that's it. If Texas can go and beat them at home where they have not lost that is a huge signature win in a season where they desperately need it for Rodney Terry and the Longhorns. On the flip side of this, the Sooners have been fantastic. They've been a lead at home. They have a top 20 defense in the country, according to Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. This is a really big test for Oklahoma. They have passed a whole bunch of tests already this season. If they can win this one again, it'll solidify their spot as a top 15 team, push them even towards the top 10 in what has been a fantastic season uh, for this Sooners team. Go to the Big East. Xavier on the road, taking on the Blue Jays of Creighton, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on FS1. FanDuel favors Creighton by eight and a half. Pretty high line, in my opinion, for this Blue Jays team. They have played well as of late, but they haven't been beating teams by very many points. Case in point, the triple overtime victory over Seton Hall, 97-94, potential game of the year candidate. Now, Creighton has won five of their last six, including that game. Their only loss in that stretch was to UConn, an understandable loss to the defending national champs. Uh, But Creighton has been inconsistent. Their offense is great at times, but it sputters, and it can sputter badly. They had 48 points against Colorado State. They had 48 points against UConn. They struggled offensively in a really bad way against UNLV in the non-conference. Xavier's 33rd in adjusted defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. If they can find a way to slow down Creighton, this Xavier team's a little bit underrated. A lot of the conversation has been around how much this? How much Sean Miller's team lost last year? Sule booms out the door. They lost a lot of their big men because of injuries, because of graduation. They're just a team that has lost a lot of talent. Colby Jones, of course, in the NBA. But this team is good. Quincy Oliveri is playing really good basketball. Desmond Claude has been the breakout candidate many expected him to do. The storyline in this game is going to be fairly simple. Can Xavier's big men stop Ryan Kalkbrenner? Because Creighton finally figured out to just give the dang ball to Kalkbrenner They were too focused on outside shooting. Stephen Ashworth's been struggling. When Shireman's off or when Trey Alexander's off, their offense sputters. Just give the ball to Kalk. He's seven feet tall. He can score around the rim. He had 23 field goal attempts in the triple overtime game against Seton Hall. That was a major turning point, I think, for Creighton. This is the perfect game to let Kalk eat on the block. If he goes out, has 25 plus points on efficient scoring, I think we're going to start seeing a Creighton team that is kind of finally starting to fire on all cylinders. Next up, Michigan going on the road to take on Purdue. It's odd that this game is between the second best team uh, in the standings and the worst team in the standings in the Big Ten. That's not necessarily what you would have expected, but this Michigan team has just been down bad all year long, and they're not going to have Doug McDaniel. Doug McDaniel, 17 and a half points, five assists per game, but he is not traveling with the team right now, serving a six-game road-only suspension a lot of theories as to what's going on there. It's some kind of academic in nature. Not really going to get into the specifics of that other than to say a team that is currently sporting the worst record in the Big Ten, playing without their best player on the road at Purdue. It's not, not a good recipe for success for Jawan Howard's club. Purdue is favored by 17 and a half points. That is a huge spread in conference play. That's a really, really big spread. 
but I have a hard time seeing how Michigan's going to do anything against Purdue's elite offense and elite defense in this one. Next up, the final game here to cover. This is going to be an absolute doozy. Cougars versus Cougars Houston going to the Marriott Center in Provo, Utah to take on the BYU Cougars 9 p.m. Eastern time for this one on ESPN+. Plus. I think I forgot to mention Michigan at Purdue. Also at 9 p.m., that one's on Peacock, though. So if you don't have Peacock, you might have a hard time watching that one. Houston at BYU will be on the Big 12 Network or ESPN+. Plus. FanDuel favors Houston by two and a half points. This is going to be an interesting, this is a big stretch right now. Houston, para wins over Texas Tech and Central Florida, blasted both of those teams, held Central Florida to 42 points, just seven made field goals, an incredible stat. Central Florida hadn't made a two-point shot until the under 12 in the second half, which is a jaw-dropping statistic. But yet, Houston's offense struggled. They don't get over 60 points in those games. They need Jamal Shedd to be really consistent and really good. If Jamal Shedd struggles, this team struggles. LJ Cryer is fantastic, but he's also been a little bit inconsistent. This team is defensively elite, but the offense is inconsistent. And that's what we need to see because BYU can bring it. BYU is a great three-point shooting team, but they blew a 17-point lead and lost to Texas Tech on Saturday. They are learning what it's like to be in the Big 12. Both of these programs are in that same spot. For BYU, they have to avenge that loss. They have to find a way to win on the home floor. If you want to be anything in the Big 12, you've got to win at home. This is a huge test for Mark Pope. This is a huge test for this BYU team. This is a huge test for Houston to go on the road and pick up a major victory after winning. You know, Texas Tech is good, and that was they're, they're a good team. I think Central Florida, eh, they're an okay team. they got some nice wins, though. But Houston's got to prove they can do it night in and night out. This is a huge test for both teams, a really, really fun game. Again, Houston favored by two and a half. I think they're probably going to take it, but I think this is going to be a really close one and a very fun watch on Tuesday evening. That's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. I want to thank all of you for making this show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Reminder to join us in our Discord channel where we'll be talking about all of these basketball games on Tuesday evening. There is a link in your show notes. It is free to join. Thanks again for listening. Isaac will be back with you all on Wednesday, recapping these games and getting you ready for another great slate of college basketball. But until then, peace out.